Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. Uh, we're continuing this series, Blueprint. Uh, this is our third week. Uh, and you remember the purpose of this series is for us to take a step back as a church and to look at who we are and what we're about and where we're going. Because we're in a really pivotal time for the church, for the Methodist movement in general. And so we thought, what better way than to look at our blueprint, to look at what we're about, what we do. And so uh, over the course of the series, we've been working through our church motto and our vision statement. Uh, so we started with our motto, White's Chapel, where tradition meets today. And we talked uh, about the various mantles that we pick up. You remember, Elisha picks up Elijah's mantle as Elijah uh, ascends to heaven in this incredible way with fire and horses. And, and we talked about our own mantles. What do we pick up? How we have a responsibility to pick up the mantle of White's Chapel, this church. We have a responsibility to pick up the mantle of Wesley and the, this Methodist movement, this theology of grace that, that I believe in and I hope that you do too. But ultimately, more than any other mantle, we're called to pick up the mantle of Jesus, the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then last week, Pastor Anne Marie, uh, she started with the first part of our vision statement, basically the statement of what we want this church to do. You can see it here. Uh, so she talked about engaging the heart, about mission and outreach, and how we're a people, we're a church that, that doesn't want to just do a mission, singularly. We want to be a church that is on a mission, always. A church that finds every opportunity to be on a mission for Christ. So we're continuing that, that vision statement tonight. We're focusing on that second one, stirring the soul. Uh, we're going to be talking about worship. I've kind of already told you that. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about how we worship, why we worship, and what worship actually does. And we're going to uh, be reading from one of the lesser-known books of the Bible. Uh, how many of you are super familiar with Habakkuk? I'm going to take that as not a whole lot of us are super familiar with Habakkuk. That's okay. Uh, before we read our scripture, though, I want to give you a brief overview, because it sounds like that would be helpful, of this very short, brief, brief book from the Old Testament. He, Habakkuk was a minor prophet, and he lived in the 7th century BCE. Uh, and Habakkuk's a little different than most prophets. Right? Most prophets in the Bible, they speak on behalf of God to the people. And so their job is to transmit God's will, God's message to the masses. But that's not really true for Habakkuk. I mean, Habakkuk does do that. But the vast majority of this little book, this three-chapter book, is Habakkuk having a conversation with God. And it's kind of an intense conversation. Habakkuk asks big existential questions that a lot of us have asked. God, why? Why is there injustice in the world? Why do you allow it? Because Habakkuk had seen all of these terrible things, this corruption, this brokenness, and he's asking God, why don't you do something about it? Where are you? You're God. Do something. Fix it. The prophet has this, this dialogue back and forth with God, and then we get to the very end of the book, and he's been wrestling and fighting, and he's asked God a question, and God has responded, and it's gone back and forth that way. And he gets to the very end of this book, 
This is just the last couple of verses, and this is Habakkuk's great, uh, great conclusion. This is what he says. This is Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. You can just look up on the screen. I'm not going to make you turn your Bibles to it. <laughs> Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Okay, the, our passage for tonight, it's pretty simple in its message. After all of his questioning and frustration and confusion, Habakkuk decides that, that he's only got one thing that he can do. And that's praise God. He decides that he is going to worship God despite everything else that's going on. Despite his misunderstanding, despite not knowing how everything's going to work out, he chooses worship. And that's what we're called to do too. We're called to be a people who, in the midst of whatever life throws at us, choose worship. A people who prioritize worship in our lives no matter what. And so with that in mind, I really want us to focus in on what worship is. But I don't want you to just hear from me tonight. Um, I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about how I wanted to dig into Habakkuk, because I don't dive into Habakkuk all that often, I'll <laughs> confess. And I, how I was going to talk about worship, and, and I had this realization that we have several people on our staff, several of them that you know, uh, whose entire job is worship. It's in their title. There are worship leaders. Grace and Didi and Clint and Jackson and Shauna. And I figured that if we were gonna talk about worship at length, you should hear from the people who have dedicated their lives and their ministry to it. And so on Monday, I uh, cornered them and I asked them each to give me the answer to two questions. I posed two questions and they gave me their responses and I'm gonna let those two questions and their responses sort of guide us tonight along with our scripture. And so the first thing that I asked them was what is the purpose of worship? Why do we do it? Why do we worship? Why do we come to this building once a week, gather together and sing? Because if you know nothing about the Christian faith, if you've never been to a church in your entire life and you walk in, you might think, well, these people are crazy. <laughs> what is this? Why are we doing this? And so I asked them this question and I got so many great responses. Um, and, and the reality is, worship is about, about a lot of things and it accomplishes a lot of things. But there was one thing about worship, about its purpose, that seemed to, to kind of come in so many of their answers. Uh, it seemed to, to they, they all seemed to center around this, this one idea. Several of your worship leaders said that worship puts us in our place. And I loved that. That it reminds us that God is God and we are not. I really love how Dee Dee and Clint responded to this question. Let's, let's, let's look at their responses. This is what Clint said first. Clint uh, wrote to me and he said, the purpose of worship is first to glorify God because of who he is and what he's done. With this foundation, the purpose of worship in the life of each Christian is to be our fullest expression of adoration and praise to God through all that we do and all that we are. We got preachers on staff, y'all. <laughs> They just, they just can play guitar. 
uh, this is what Didi said. I, lo- I love her response too. She said, the purpose of worship to me is to remind me of who he is. I can praise God all day for the things he's done for me, but worshiping him through music is simply me recognizing his position in my life, the head of it all. That's good. And they are absolutely right. We come to this place and we sing songs of praise and adoration because God is God. God is the creator of everything in existence. God is the one who made each one of us. As Didi said, he's the head of it all. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And we need to be regularly reminded of that, regularly reminded of who he is. We need to be reminded of his worth. It's like that song we just sang, he's worthy of it all. It's so perfect because the word worship comes from Old English and it means to ascribe worth to something. So the word is worth-ship, worth-ship. It means that we look at something and we say that thing is worthy. Worthy of my attention, worthy of my love, worthy of my life. We say it's powerful and big. It is worth the praise. And again, we can't do this enough. Because let's be honest. We have a tendency as, uh, as human beings to worship the wrong things. It is a sin that we see endlessly in the Bible. And let's be honest, it's a sin that we see endlessly in life. We worship the wrong things. We ascribe worth to the wrong things. This is one of the the things that earlier on in in the book of Habakkuk, he gets so upset about. He comes to God and he says, God, they're worshiping everything. They're worshiping idols. They're worshiping leaders. They're worshiping everything and everyone but you. Do something about it. Why are they like this? Why are we like this? He sees this part of of our human nature because we do this. We ascribe worthiness. We we so often worship things that just aren't worthy of our praise. I read a great story this week about Franz Joseph Haydn. I was saying Hayden, but I was corrected right before the service that it's Haydn. Uh, I think, uh, and now they're laughing, so I'm probably saying it wrong. We're going to say Hayden because this is Texas. Um, Franz Joseph Hayden, he was an extremely uh, famous Austrian composer. You may have heard that name before. Uh, He's from the classical era. He was a friend and mentor to Mozart. He tutored Beethoven, and he's often uh, described as the father of the symphony. Well, the story goes that Hayden uh, was present one night at the Vienna Music Hall. And, and they were performing his masterpiece, I mean, widely considered to be his greatest work, a true masterpiece called The Creation. It was an oratorio and it was being performed and, and, it, and it was this beautiful work of music and it's all about the book of Genesis. That's what inspired it. And so this was late in Hayden's life and at this time in his life, he was confined to a wheelchair. Well, the show begins, and, and this majestic work is played, and the audience is, is incredibly moved by the music. And it got to this one epic part in the show where the choir all belts out at the same time, and there was light. It's this big moment in the show. And, and the chorus 
sings and the orchestra performs and, and the crowd at that point, they just couldn't handle it anymore. They had to react. They, they had so much enthusiasm built up and so they rose and they turned toward Hayden and they just started applauding. And people were pointing at him and they were clapping for him. And the story goes that Franz Hayden slowly rose from his wheelchair and he motioned for complete silence. He stopped the symphony, he stopped the choir, he stopped the clapping, and he pointed toward heaven and he said, no, 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 not from me, from him comes all. It's a great story. It's not, not from me. I didn't write this, he did. It's not about me, it's about him. He made it clear to the crowd that day that their applause was misdirected, that they ought to be celebrating God, not him. And I think Hayden got it. We worship God because he alone is the one who is worthy. And we could never thank him uh, enough for all that he's done for us. Imagine if you, you went home right now and you tried to write a list of all the things that God has done in your life. You couldn't do it. He alone is worthy. And we could never thank him enough, but in this simple way, every Saturday night here in the foundry, we try. Because like Didi said, we come to this place and we remind ourselves he's the head of it all. Like Clint said, we come to this place and we worship and glorify God because of who he is. There are a lot of purposes of worship. To express gratitude, to connect with the body of Christ and, and to form community, to get to know the people around us. Honestly, for me, I think a big part of worship is, is that it allows me to just decompress every week. That's one of the things I love so much about us having this service on Saturday. I grow through my week and I get to the end of it and a lot of times I'm, I'm barely, barely making it in here. But we start singing and, and I just feel like my load gets a little lighter. And I sing loudly and I sing very poorly. But it's this moment of just, ah, I can breathe and I'm rooted again. Worship's about a lot of things. All of those things I said, they're true, but, but above them all, the reason that we stir the soul with worship is because God is worthy of it. It's that simple. It's that simple. That's why we need to remember it and declare it with pride. Because this is what we see in our scripture. That book, it, it's such a great book of lament in a lot of ways, Habakkuk is. He's stressed and overwhelmed and he's, he's mourning and grieving. God, why, why, why? And he's asking God all these questions and we get to the end of this short little minor prophet and after all of this struggling with God, he makes a decision. He humbles himself. He says, you know what? Even if I don't get it, even if all the fig trees don't blossom, even if there's no fruit on the trees, even if I don't understand it all, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult the God of my salvation. He says, I'll worship. Because you know what? God is God and he is worthy of it. That's the purpose of worship. Okay, that was the first question I asked them. The second one was, was probably a little bit trickier. I asked all of our worship leaders, 
what do you wish people knew about worship? This is probably the one that took them a little longer to write. Um, I, I know it had to be harder because I, I was asking them, what would they say to the congregation? What would they say to the world about what they do, about worship, if they could say anything? And I asked five different people this question separately, and they all gave me the exact same answer. And they said it in different ways. They said it uh, in, in different words, but the message was almost exactly the same. And so I thought, there's got to be something to that. Uh, so I want us to look at Grace Jackson and Shauna's responses. Uh, this, is, this is what they said to the, to the question, what do you wish people knew about worship? Jackson said, I wish people knew how important it is for them to join in. I wish people knew that the church is better when they are there and actively choosing to be involved. This is what Shauna said. I wish people would let go and feel free to connect. And this is what our, our lovely Grace said. This is so beautiful. She said, well, like our favorite song says, there's no shame in looking like a fool. I wish people could praise like that. I see people go to football games and concerts and they jump and dance and sing and cry. Every form of expression but they come into church and don't seem to be able to show the same sort of expression for God. Of course we want to show reverence, but the house of the Lord is a place of joy and laughter and full transparency. I love that. All of our worship leaders who have dedicated their lives to this topic had the same thing to say. They wanted the world to know, they wanted y'all to know that you are free to worship however is right for you. And that can mean a variety of things. My wife Hannah and I are great examples of that spectrum. We are always on the opposite ends of spectrums, I find. Uh, which is, yeah, opposites attract, you know. Um, but Hannah worships when, when she can sit and journal when she can just read the words on the screen. Hannah worships best. She connects with God best when she is sitting with her hands in her lap. I am not like that as much. Uh, you may have, have seen me before. I, for whatever reason, I can't help but move when I worship. Uh, I, I wasn't always like that when I was growing up. I, I always kind of wanted to raise my hands. I wanted to move around and it, was, it felt natural to me, but I didn't because I was embarrassed and I thought that people would think that I was weird if I did. And it wasn't until I got a little older and it wasn't until someone said pretty much the same thing that Grace mentioned in, in, in her response, you know, that I would go, I would go pretty hard at country concerts and <laughs> I'll leave that there. Uh, but I would do all that and celebrate and then I'd get to worship and just, you know, glaze over and try and secretly look at my phone. Um, Someone pointed that out to me, and again, I, I, I kind of finally saw that I could just let myself worship the way I wanted to, the way that felt real and authentic to me. Look, my point is, there isn't a right way to worship. There isn't one way to worship. My dad is uh, a United Methodist pastor as well, and he has a great story uh, about a time when he was leading worship uh, when he was senior pastor of First United Methodist Granbury. Uh, they, we were... They were doing the closing hymn one day, and as they were singing, uh, this man started running toward the chancel, started running forward, and he was being kind of aggressive, and he was shouting, and, and people didn't really know what was going on. Uh, he was kind of gesturing towards people, and so my dad, in a full robe and stole, not knowing what was going on, decided the best move was to tackle this man. 
which I assure you I will not do to you, so you are safe in this place. Uh, but he tackled this man, and they got up, and everyone kind of ushered out because they were like, let him deal with that, you know? And they started having, he had this conversation with this guy. He said, what are you doing? Why, what, what's going on? And, and this man went on this tirade, and he said he was trying to show all these dead Methodists how to worship, that they didn't know how to worship, that the way they were worshiping was wrong, and that they needed to do exactly what he did, that they weren't worshiping at all, that it wasn't worship unless it looked like he thought it should. And so he decided at the end of that service that it was time to illustrate for the congregation the right way to praise God. And I think that man made a big mistake. And it wasn't running around, although I guess with my dad, the linebacker, as pastor, that was a bold move. But, um, but his mistake wasn't the way that he worshiped. His mistake was thinking that his was the only way to worship. That he was the only one who knew how to praise God, how to connect with God. That there was only one way, and that's just not true. And I'm telling y'all right now, every single one of your worship leaders said this same thing. I said, they could, what would you tell them if you could tell them anything? And this is what every one of them said. They wanted you to know that you can be completely free in this place. That if you want to raise your hands, you can do it. That if you want to dance in the aisles, you can do it, and I will not tackle you. That if you want to uh, sit quietly and pray with your head down, you can do it. If you want to bring a journal and take notes or, or just doodle, you can do it. Because it's not about what you do, it's about why you're doing it. So if you're being hindered by anything, they want you to know that you don't have to be. Look, if, if sitting and listening is how you worship, that is great. But if you're doing it because you're worried about what your neighbor will think of you, let it go. The great chance is that they are not judging you, and if they are, that's on them. Because this is a house of worship. This is a service of worship, and, and that's what we do here. But if you're the kind of person who likes to raise your hands, if, if, you, if that feels right to you, that's great. But if you're only doing it because that's what you think you're supposed to do, let that go too. Let it all go. Worship God. Don't worry about anyone else. Because on Saturday nights, when we sing, when we worship, we are all doing it for an audience of just one. There is only one member of the audience. It's none of us. It's God. That's why we're here. That's the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to in the end. He decides that in the midst of all of his existential stress and questions and uncertainty, there was only one thing for him to do. He had only one option. He had to worship. And so tonight, wherever you are, whether things are good or bad, whether the fig tree in your life is blossoming or, or the fields are yielding no food, let's let go. Let's worship God however is authentic to us. Let's let this be our blueprint. Let's continue to be a church where anybody can come and anybody can, can connect with God. Anybody can praise the one who is worthy. Because God is God and we aren't, thank goodness. 
So let's worship. Let's exalt the God of our salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, help us to worship you well. Help us to release whatever restrictions we have placed on worship. Help us to open our minds and our hearts and our ears to you always. Not just in this place on Saturday nights, but everywhere. God, let our lives be worship. Because you are worth it. God, we cannot thank you enough. One hour every Saturday is nowhere near enough to express our gratitude for what you've done and who you are. But this is, this is our attempt. This is us trying. This is us coming to you and saying, thank you, God, you are good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for connecting us to the body of Christ. God, we are grateful and we love you and we worship you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.